Dear listener, Sai Ram and greetings from Prashanti Nilayam. Welcome to our radio program, Afternoon Satsang. This is a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live, hosted by Prem and Arvind at 12.30pm Indian Standard Time on Thursdays, only on Asia's stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony. The discussion is on Ramakatara Savahini, a book written by Swami, and today's episode was first broadcast live on 8th January 2015. Have a listen please. Offering loving pranams at Bhagwan's lotus feet. Dear listeners, we welcome you to this week's afternoon satsang. After a long while, we are back again with the Ramakatha Raswaini series. We will be continuing the beautiful story of Lord Rama as written by our dear Swami. But before that, as always, let us begin by meditating and ruminating over the nectarous name of Lord Rama. Shri Rama Rama Rame Ki Rame Rame Manorame Sahasra Nama Tatuyam Rama Nama Varanane Yes, dear listeners, we're going to start the Ramayana series. But before that, let me welcome Brother Arvind to join me and join all of you in this afternoon session. Sairam Arvind. Sairam Prem. And as always, let us begin by placing our humble salutations at the lotus feet of our dear Swami, who is always with us irrespective of the time and place. And also our salutations to the great devotee of the Lord, Hanuman, who has exalted himself to the level of a god by his devotion to Swami. He is our role model, our ideal. That is the reason, in fact, that Swami built the magnificent 65 feet statue of Lord Hanuman towering over the Vidyagiri because, you know, it's almost as if that hill which has been named Vidyagiri, Vidyagiri translates into the hill of education. Giri is mountain or hill and Vidya is education. It is so symbolic, it is there for all to see that once you reach the pinnacle of Vidyagiri, you come to Hanuman, the humble servant of Lord Rama. They say Vidya Dadati Vinayam, that is education confers humility and that is there for all to see and therefore, as always, we offer our salutations to Hanuman who is present wherever the glory of Sri Rama is sung and with that, we begin this week's episode. Coming back to the story, we were at the part where Kaiki has placed her two boons in front of Dashrata and it has been conveyed to Lord Rama, not that Dashrata himself has spoken it out because he is so pained that he is not even able to convey them to Lord Rama. But when Rama comes into the presence of the mother and Dashrata, Kaiki actually explains 
the whole situation and even before he could get a verbal directive from his father lord rama accepts the word which his father has given as his own word and he says that i'll uh, gladly take it upon myself so the situation is that that he has gone to mother kaushalya he's explained it to her and managed to convince her that she should stay back and take care of dashratha she has again had a dialogue with lakshmana and a surprisingly very short one at the end of which he has accepted that lakshmana can follow him to the forest mm-hmm. and now we are in the situation where lord rama is leaving the palace of kaushalya and he walks barefoot towards the palace of sita where he left her last when he was called to the palace of dashratha so the situation there is very interesting because she is waiting for rama to come back so that he can start the procession towards the coronation hall and she is expecting him to be dressed in all regalia she is expecting a grand heralding because he is no longer just rama the prince he is about to be coronated as rama the crown prince and the emperor designate and therefore when she sees rama walking in just like any commoner he is not even wearing footwear and he is not in any of the grand dresses forget grand dresses he is looking almost like an ascetic in the clothes that he is wearing and when he walks in sita is in a state of shock and you know the shock can do two things to a person one is it can strike you dumb the other is it can just unleash open the flood gates within and unleash a torrent and that is what the latter is what happens in the case of mother sita she rushes to rama and says rama what is this where is the elephant that is supposed to trumpet and herald your arrival you know just like we had all our processions here in prashantinilayam that would be led by the magnificent sai geeta she was expecting swami even gives a name i forgot the name of the elephant some vijay meaning victorious victorious something related to victory that is the name of the elephant that is the name of the tusker mm-hmm. that sita proclaims and says he is supposed to be leading your entire procession and then where are the trumpets where are the clarion calls where are the people throwing flowers where are the dancers where is the band where is the merriment where is the regalia where is that magnificent golden umbrella that should protect you that should be above you if not just to protect you as regalia that is the royal insignia all these are lacking rama what happened what calamity has befallen what is it that has happened and even as sita pours out these questions in a torrent to rama rama simply answers her he says sita you know there has been a change of plans when we read swami's writing it it shows how clinically yet so simply in a matter of fact manner rama explains that you no know, things have changed sita it was supposed to be like that but now father has told me that i have to go to the forest he wants to ensure that it happens at the same by this auspicious hour and therefore just like i got ready for the coronation it's now time for me to get ready for going to the forest and what rama answers is just three four sentences but reading that it speaks volumes about the equanimity that rama possesses because just like there was no bubbling excitement and enthusiasm just before his coronation there is no kind of depression or shock at this this is really a rude change of uh, circumstances it's like you would have been on the zenith of a mountain now you are at the nadir of a valley but rama is the same composed calm person and just as he said that i'm going to get coronated tomorrow he says i have to leave for the exile today or tomorrow and that is how rama answers sita and uh, very beautifully you know as you said those three uh, sentences the way swami writes it absolutely no contempt absolutely no anger 
in fact he doesn't even initially he doesn't even tell about the boon which is asked by kai kai hmm. he does not mention kai kai at all he just says that father has given me an order and i have to follow and that is what it is and i think after that sita starts asking you know what is the reason what is the change of plans because of and that is when lord rama starts explaining that you know mother kai kai had asked for two boons and it is as a result of those two boons one being the coronation of bharata and the other being that i should be sent to the forest and even then you know mother sita also she doesn't stop and starts getting angry with the people who caused this turn of events she says there must be a reason for that you know both dashratha and kaikeya are such respectable individuals there must be a good reason for them to come up with a, a command like this one thing that strikes me prem is if we have to appreciate the glory of the characters of the ramayana the best thing would be to sincerely imagine ourselves and put ourselves in their position when i did this exercise for example as i was reading this when i put myself in rama's place and i was imagining suppose i have to go and tell my wife now that you know it's no longer glory and kingdom it's going to be gori and the forest you know it's a change from good news to horrible news so when i was imagining you know the first sentence that came to me was i go to my wife and say you know what this kaike is such a horrible lady till now you know tell me have i any time disregarded her have i not considered her as my mother always you know what she has done behind my back you know that was the first statement that came to me when i truly put myself in rama's position and now as you highlighted it he doesn't even mention the name of kaike you know as i put myself in sita's position i was thinking that even if i managed to you know surmount my emotions and just say that you know nothing you know this is what has happened and then when she asked for details if i tell her that you know mother kaike actually asked i was thinking that any wife will naturally say that you know that woman is so scheming because see after all sita does not actually belong to this family she is an outsider in the sense that she has come from janaka's kingdom and she is a new bride even now because within a year of the wedlock dasharatha has contemplated making rama the crown prince so she has not actually got enough time to have got to know everybody equally and this is what often happens this is the cause for so many husband wife fights where the husband finds fault with the wife's family and the wife finds fault with the husband's family but we don't see that here i mean that was apparently the most spontaneous expression that will come and it is understandable also nobody will criticize her for criticizing the people who have brought about the downfall of such a noble personality like rama but she too exemplifies what a noble woman is and she just says that there definitely is a reason it is not without reason that the elders have done like this i only felt that what sita feels towards elders can we feel that at least towards god we don't even spare god you know we feel god has done unfair things to us he is putting us into soup or he has put us into trouble or he has failed to come to our rescue if the amount of understanding that sita had towards elders you know when she said that i'm sure the elders will have a reason behind this and it's nothing to feel bad or nothing to feel angry on them i felt inspired that we should try to imbibe this at least with respect to god if not with all our elders i think one more thing is you no know, the thing which shows up here is what is your spontaneous judgment of a person eventually you might find out that that person had you know these plans for ever since you knew them or it was going on behind you but what is the first spontaneous response when you know that something has befallen you giving the benefit of doubt to the other person that i'm not sure what has happened but maybe that person has a reason no maybe that person has done it with a positive outlook i think that is an important thing as you're saying that when you're not able to have that kind of an attitude even towards divinity it's very difficult when you're talking about other human beings around 
But I think that's a very important quality to have. You know, when you have the first response to a situation, hmm. and Swami would often say that you know, when a person comes and slaps you, hmm. okay, instead of getting angry, are you able to think that what could be the reason? You know, to stop and think that I will not be slapped without a reason, and maybe that person has a good reason. To I know it's very very difficult. Being put in a situation is completely different from sitting behind a mic and talking. I, d- I don't know why you are using this example, Prem, because this very example, I remember it's vividly imprinted in my mind. Silesh sir from higher secondary school, when we were in a Paranam session, he m- mentioned exactly this. He said, I will consider myself truly spiritual if somebody comes and slaps me and I don't react and I just think that this is what Swami wanted. Because if Swami did not want, I would not have got this. What is the meaning behind this? What is the purpose behind this? And I start questioning myself, you know, I start analyzing myself for this experience. That is when I'll consider myself spiritual. In fact, recently we uploaded part 7 of Raja Reddy sir's conversation with Anil Kumar sir. Mm. Beautiful it is, you know. I think I was seeing the part 7 or part 6, I don't remember which part it is. Mm. Every part is beautiful, but in one of those parts, he says that. He says, the mistake we do in spirituality is, we analyze Swami and try to experience ourselves because we are selfish. We should analyze ourselves and just experience Swami. Then we become selfless and we become spiritual. So the slap actually led my train of thoughts over here. So as you say, it's really tough when somebody hits you or slaps you for you to think that, you know, there's a purpose behind this and give a benefit of doubt to the offender whom we consider as offender. It's really a tough task. Very true. I think in a sentence you can say, in every situation, if you can reflect rather than react, I think it would be a better option. But having said that, it's very difficult. I think none of us are speaking that out of authority of practice. <laughs> but Just out of theory. I mean, and from reading, this, it appears like that's the best thing to do. Because exactly. That was the reaction of Mother Sita. And again, you know, it's very important to put yourself in that place and imagine. Imagine you're standing there, as Swami described, she's standing with that plate of sandal paste which has to be applied to the forehead of Lord Rama before he walks towards the coronation hall. She's waiting with that golden plate with sandal paste. And that's when Rama comes like this, barefoot, walking without any accompaniments of regality. Mm -hmm. And then he says this, I'm going to the forest. You know, that situation, the way it has changed so fast, can be so unsettling. You know, going back to, I think last week you spoke about that car analogy which Swami gave. You know, when things change so completely, I think it's a typical example of that. Though she is saying that elders must have a reason for it. What Swami told us, when there is a change in situation from what is conducive to you and something which is absolutely unacceptable you mean the, to the you. The gear example. The gear example, right. Yes, uh, surrender. Swami would say that, understand that nothing happens without being a good reason for it to happen. But that's precisely what even Mother Sita is saying, that you know, something like this has happened, there must be a good reason for it. Though she does not react negatively towards Kaikeyi or anybody when Rama tells her the reason behind Dasharatha having commanded him like that, Rama continues to speak to her. You know, he says, you know, it appears as if Rama does this in order to show the virtues and the character of Mother Sita to the world. That's all it is because I don't think, forget Rama, you know, when we look at Sita's response itself, we feel admiration towards her equanimity. But Rama goes on to tell her that, you know, whatever it may be, don't harbor any of these in your mind. Serve your in-laws very sincerely. So don't bear any ill will towards them. Don't show any anger towards them. Be sweet. Be nice towards them. Please do not return to Mithila, to your parents' home. Because that is the refuge, as per the Indian tradition, 
for the daughter the refuge is always the mother's home they call it maika in hindi and you know it's like a refuge anything troublesome in life you can return to your mother's home that is always there for you in india especially that is of course changing now with modern trends but in case of any marital woes or any trouble the daughter usually returns to the mother's home so here rama is saying that you know i'll be gone for 14 years now imagine your husband you're just married and your husband is not going to be there for 14 years because of what your in-laws did not even your mother-in-law your stepmother-in-law <laughs> so rama tells her please don't go back to mithila stay in ayodhya itself take care of everyone so when we read it it doesn't look like sita needs any of this advice yeah, even rama goes on to say that huh? bharata is going to be a new king you have to treat Correct. him with the respect which you would have given me as a king hmm. beautiful thing is you know in indian tradition there are some relationships which are so very beautiful especially that between uh, the wife has towards the younger brother of the husband hmm. immediately your relation is that of a mother and a son so she says though by relationship he is your brother in law and you can treat him like your son but remember that he is going to be the monarch so you have to give him all the respect and obedience that you would have given me as a monarch and you know the interesting thing is i think sometime back i had heard one uh, psychologist speak about parenting Hmm. and uh, this doctor very an eminent expert she was saying that there is a change in attitude in parenting you know now parents hesitate to advise their children because they feel advising is a sign of not having faith in their children hmm. like you know let's say your kid is going out on a party or something giving advice means you believe that you don't trust that person and so you're advising this uh, expert was saying that that's not the case as a duty a parent should always keep telling to their children what is right and what is wrong Hmm. So even if you know absolutely surely that that person is not given to doing anything wrong like that as a parent you know it is your owner's duty to always keep advising and she's saying that that is slowly vanishing from modern parents and that is in a sense causing the problem in you know children not growing up in the right way so i think in a sense that's what lord rama is doing as you said definitely mother sita would have known all these things which rama was telling but still rama said that it is my duty now to explain these things to you it shouldn't be said that i fell short of my duty so i will explain it to you uh, as we read on it becomes amply clear that actually mother sita does not require all of this in fact mother sita begins to laugh when she hears all this she begins to laugh and rama is not surprised what is the reason why mother sita is laughing when i'm saying all this and sita says oh lord you are speaking as though it is a foregone conclusion that you will be going alone to the forest and i will be staying back here who said that i will be staying back here in the palace i am not going to return to mithila definitely because once i am married to you i am yours and i am yours forever and no forest no command no order can ever separate a husband and a wife and therefore Though I am not going to return to Mithila, I am not going to be staying in the palace here. I am going to be accompanying you, and that now begins a new direction in the dialogue between Lord Rama and Mother Sita, because this is apparently something of a shocker for Rama. He is not expecting Sita to tell that you know I am going to come along with you. All the while he is preparing her for, he is thinking mentally and explaining to her how she should be when she is in the palace. And here is Sita now dropping a bombshell on Rama with a laughter. You know, Swami says with a rippling laugh. She says that I am not going to be here. I am going to come with you. And I think one of the first things she says in argument of that is, see, the king has given you a command, and when he gives you a command, it automatically applies to me because I am, as Swami would say, and as it is said in the scriptures, Ardangi. You know, I am the better half of you. So when a command is given to you, it need not be mentioned that take Sita along. It is like understood. 
that I'm going to come along with you. So you have to accept me. And it's interesting, even as I was going through this particular argument of Mother Sita, mm-hmm. you know, it takes me back to what happens with Ratnakara, right? Before he becomes Valmiki. Mm. Because that is one of the first things which he is told. Go and ask your wife if she will be a party to your karma, the bad karma that you're taking. But I think what shows is your karma is not shared between a husband and a wife, but I think the choice is always there to take upon yourself what is good and bad of the husband. I think and that's what Mother Sita is pointing out here. Till now, I was happily celebrating the moment of me becoming a queen. Because if you are going to become the monarch, I'm going to become the queen. So when now the situation has changed, in what way am I going to remain back here as a princess, as a daughter-in-law? I mean, a daughter-in-law is always a special person in the kingdom. But I'm not going to remain here as a special person when you are going forth as a mendicant into the forest. And when Sita says this, Rama begins a line of argument, if you can say. And seeing the different arguments that Rama places, again it becomes clear, you know, the way it has been written, it becomes very clear that Rama is convinced that what Sita has hit the nail in the first blow itself. Because, you know, the order in which he argues itself shows his priorities. Because when when in an argument, when in a debate or any time, we often place the most important argument first. And later on bring in the lesser important ones. The idea being, if there is no time for the lesser important ones, no problem. These most important ones have to be the ones that are resolved. And the first thing that Rama says is not about the kingdom or not about anything. The first thing Rama says is that Sita, see it's not an easy decision because the forests are infested. They are infested with wild animals, with rakshasas, with demons and there are a lot of hardships. So, you see... When this is the first argument that Rama is placing, it becomes very clear that the reason Rama is trying to tell Sita to stay back in the kingdom is not because when he's gone, she should serve his parents or she should be there as support to his brother Bharat or anything. It is just because Rama is concerned for his wife because just as Sita feels that Rama is my other half, Rama feels Sita is my other half and let at least one half of me be comfortable. So let her be comfortable. Why should she suffer for what has been given to only one half of me? That is me. Let me go. She will not be able to bear it. So she says, Sita, it is very difficult there. So don't come. That is the first argument he poses to Sita. And Sita, you know, no less in her response, she says, Rama, what are your worries? She is trying to play the other side. Now she says, are you worried that I have got so used to the luxuries in the palace that I will not be able to cope with the rigorous life in the forest? She immediately takes a vow to lead a very simple life. And she says, if you are worried about hardships, don't worry, I have taken a vow to lead a simple life. So a simple life involves hardships which I will gleefully accept. And if you say of dangers, what danger can touch me when you, my husband, my lord, the supreme protector of the whole kingdom of Ayodhya is with me? It is almost as if Sita is saying that possibly Ayodhya is in danger because you are not there. But when I am with you, nothing can ever happen to me. Right. And uh, you know, even as I was reading this, I was reminded of the experience of one of our old students. <laughs> hmm. This person, his father had a shop in Puttaparthi, hmm. a small shop which used to sell books and photographs and all that. Hmm. So even as this boy was a student, he had made up his mind that you know, after he finishes his studies, he would just settle down in Puttaparthi and take care of that shop because hmm. there was one source of income already there and just spend time with Swami. So he finished his studies and one night he had a dream in which Swami comes and tells him that it's better that you don't stay in Puttaparthi. So you know, he gets very worried. He says, Swami, why do you say that? 
because my father's shop is here, my parents are settled here. So I'll just stay on here. What is the problem? Swami said, you'll have a lot of problems if you stay back here. You know, mm. you're going to face a lot of financial problems. You'll have other problems which will be coming to you. And it's going to be unbearable. It'll be very bad. And the, the response which this boy gave in his dream was so beautiful, you know. Oh, the, okay, this is a dream. Okay, this whole thing was happening in the dream. So in the dream, this boy is saying, Swami, you tell me that you don't want me to stay here, I'll leave. Okay, you tell me that you have some other plans for me, I will leave. But don't tell me to leave just because there are going to be problems. Don't give me that as a reason. Hmm. Because, you know, I'm ready to endure anything as long as I can be with you. You know, pretty similarly, that's what Sita is saying here. Don't give me the reason that there's not going to be any comfort there, there are going to be dangers there. Don't give me any of those reasons. And she's saying that you are there to protect me. Hmm. And are you having doubts about your ability to protect me? That's what she says. Now, you know, Rama takes on another line of argumentation. He says that, see Sita, if you say that, I mean, just like he said, if you say that I want you to stay and you will stay, then fine, that is what I want. As your husband, I'm commanding you. It is the duty of the wife to obey her husband. And therefore, I'm commanding you to stay back. And to this, she says that, see, you cannot command me because we are equal halves. We refer to each other as the other half. Just as you have the right and authority over me, I too have the same right and authority over you. And then comes, you know, the master stroke, you know, the the sentence that really won my heart as I was reading this because Sita says, so I have equal authority and rights over you, my Lord. But when I say I'm going to accompany you, I am not asking you as a matter of my right. I crave to be with you, Rama, and that is why, that is why I want to follow you, not because it's my right to be with you. I crave to be with you. And you know, this shows that though Mother Sita is Rama's wife, she has so much of devotion. It is symbolic of the feelings that exist between Prakriti and Paramatma. I feel that is the same that existed or exists between that alumnus who you spoke about and Swami. That relationship is shown so beautifully here because after all that, Sita is a devotee of her Lord. And she says, I have a right. But I'm not exercising the right. I'm saying I want to be with you because I crave to be with you. That is such a beautiful thing she says and Rama seems stumped momentarily. And the beauty is, you know, most of the arguments placed by Mother Sita is that. Mm. It is all stemming from that desire to be with you. And if you see all the explanations which Lord Rama is giving, it is all so that she doesn't have to undergo pains. I think uh, what Lord Rama is saying throughout this argument is, there is nothing which binds you to follow me to the forest. Hmm. You know, there is nothing mandatory about that you should follow the forest. And if you don't do that, people will say that, you know, you are failing from your duties. It reminds me, Prem, I'm sure what many of the alumni who are working here in Prashantinliam would have faced. I too remember facing this. Mm-hmm. You know, when we expressed, it was two, three of us together, myself, Dhananjay, we expressed to Swami that, Swami, we want to be here, work, work for you and stay here. So, on the face of it, Swami immediately agreed. But uh, before that, what had happened was, before actually Swami physically agreeing and accepting, there were a lot of things that happened. And one thing I got reminded of now here was, the secretary of the ashram then, that is Chakravarti sir, he called us. And just like this, you know, he spoke, he was saying, it's very evident that these are not his thoughts and his ideas, (laughs) these are what Swami is wanting to be conveyed. So he had called and just like we see here, Rama saying out of concern for Sita, Not because he doesn't want. As we we all know, Rama in the end accepted Sita. It's not as if Rama does not want Sita to come along with him. 
In fact, towards the end, we will see that Rama himself will say that, Sita, it is a great joy that you are there with me. It will be a wonderful, you know, it's a wonderful thing to have you accompany me. But in the beginning, he is always concerned about Sita and that is the trait of the Lord. Because here, Chakravarti sir was asking us, he was, he was telling us, you know, he started by saying, see, it is not wrong to have ambition. Swami never discourages ambition. Swami never says that you should not pursue success and achievement. If you go out, achieve a good name, get good fame, Swami will be immensely happy. And if that is what you are desiring, there is absolutely no qualms. Please don't think that you are going against Swami by pursuing a career or pursuing success in a way that you think is best. Only thing is, yeah, while doing that also just follow what Swami has taught. This is the first thing that he said. So, you know, I could feel Swami's love through Chakravarti sir because it was as if Swami is saying that, see Bangaru, if that is what you are desiring, don't think that you will be distant to me if you pursue that, you can go. So that was one, this thing. Then second thing, Chakravarti sir says is, he says, see, when you start working here, possibly you may not have Saturdays, you may not have Sundays. You may not have anything called a holiday. You may not have a summer vacation and winter vacation the way you are used to. You don't know when the hours of work will be. You don't know when you will be called on duty. There are many, many hardships here. And you know, you know, even he went on to the aspect of uh, the kind of enumeration. This being a charitable trust, they will not pay you the kind of remuneration you will get in professional organizations, in uh, multinational corporations, commercial organizations. Not professional, I mean. It's professional here also. In commercial organizations. So, this was also said, you know, so as I was reading this, it felt so beautiful because because of this experience of joining Radio Sai, you know, I could feel the amount of love Swami has, the amount of love Rama has. So it was so beautiful and that is what is very, very clear when we read also that when Rama is telling this to Sita, it is not out of anything else, it is just his love for Sita and the whole dialogue becomes beautiful because we are getting to experience both at the same time, the Lord's love for the devotee and the devotee's love for the Lord through dialogues of Rama to Sita and of Sita towards Rama. And another thing which often happens, you know, because everybody faces this, this is not only about students, those earlier years when people used to come to Swami, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of treatment they used to face by the locals around who were not favorable to Swami, or mm-hmm. some people who used to come and their relatives used to talk, you know, how can you go behind a Baba and all that. You know, in many ways, these are all things which actually deepen your love and devotion. And there is this very interesting episode which comes in Shiva Puranam, you know, when mm-hmm. Goddess Parvati wins the chance of being wedded to Lord Shiva. She actually goes into the mountains and she starts doing a penance with a desire to earn the hand of Lord Shiva. So it's, the story goes that she's been doing a penance for many years. Then one of the ascetics comes along, you know, a, a man with a long beard and withered with age he comes and he looks at this you know beautiful princess there sitting and when she's supposed to be the princess you know she's the daughter of himavan right mm-hmm. so looks at her and says that you know you're a princess you look so beautiful you're one of the most beautiful people i've ever seen mm-hmm. it's so absurd that you want to marry a person somebody like lord shiva and he starts describing him in you know without any tasteful devotional tastefulness which a person who is in love with the lord will do he says he, he you know, spends most of the time in the graveyard. He takes the ashes from the burnt bodies and applies it on himself. He's semi-clad. Right. And he you know, wears the clothes, I mean, a skin of a... Tiger skin. Right. Vyagram brother. Right. Uh-huh. And he adorns himself with uh, the snakes. It kind of describes everything about Lord Shiva and says, you know, you're such a beautiful young princess. Why do you want to marry that man? 
and she is very quiet because it's an elderly person she doesn't want to offend him but when at a point it becomes too much for her to bear parvati gets extremely angry and she says that please leave my presence i don't want to even talk to you i know what i am after i know what my lord is and i'm ready to go to any extent to win his heart and when she says this and she's you know she's just blown herself out in temper that's when she finds that that old man transforms into lord shiva and says i accept you wow so in a sense you know i think it will happen in almost every devotee's life when you want to go closer to swami i think swami himself will put certain obstacles because that's when you become stronger that's when the yearning becomes more deeper and more genuine and it is only when that love and yearning is genuine that we will be able to see only beauty everything about swami we will see as satyam shivam and sundaram we will not feel that you know swami is very nice very good only it's one thing this is really painful or this is bad or we will not find anything about swami painful we will not find anything about swami which is not beautiful and possibly it is with that emotion that that madhurashtakam has been composed where it describes everything about krishna as sweet in fact you know even as you were describing uh, how that old man tells parvati about how he wears a tiger skin and he is having ash all over his face in a not so good manner i was just thinking the magic of devotion is such for example that bhajan shiva shiva shambho har har shambhos in that the second line is vyagram varadhar vibhuti sundara sai shambho shankara the same terms which are used to you know actually portray what is supposed to be ugly about the lord the same terms with devotion <laughs> become terms to sing it becomes part of a bhajan ganga jatadara shankara chandrakaladara shankara you know tandava priyakara natana manohara it is you see i'm getting goosebumps even as i say that devotion is what the lord looks for because once you have devotion it doesn't matter whether you have beautiful long hair or matted locks because everything about the lord becomes satyam shivam and sundaram going through these arguments which are happening and rama describing very very graphically what are the scenes which one would encounter in the forest and all that and as you said you know chakravarti is coming and telling you this would happen very very often you know with the boys who would say after they study they would say that swami would like to serve you hmm. i'm reminded of one occasion i think ramit called some of those boys for an interview that hmm. swami was telling and swami was randomly asking those boys so what have you done said swami an msc an mba and some of them were double post graduates and all that and swami was telling them see you have all studied so much you know we all know that we studied so that we could spend those few extra years uh-huh. with swami but swami would you know put that itself as an obstacle in front of you see you all been such high degrees how can i just send you to to the bookstall and make you arrange books there literally that's what was the job available then you know 10 mm. 15 years ago i mean now you have more important works coming up and there are options right options are more because that time there was hardly any things which boys could handle except for a few accounts jobs and you know the book trust had to be taken care of some you're saying that you're all mscs and mbas how can i ask you to go and arrange books in the shelf you're all over qualified right you're extremely over qualified for that you know how can i do that so these boys would say sami even if you say you go and sweep we'll do it and sami will get angry he said do you think sami is so cruel that i'll make you do such work he said no sami you are not cruel but we are ready to even do that hmm. but this was the thing which would always happen you know sami would describe all these things like as you said sami said the you know the money is very less you won't be able to send money home that is one thing sami would say you know what i give you is very less it is enough to take care of yourself you might not be able to send money to your parents and things like that and sami would say you know you don't have an accommodation to stay here 
in all kinds of descriptions but i think that was always the thing and very beautifully that uh, analogy which would often swami himself would say of how the river when it wants to merge in the ocean right that's a beautiful analogy especially in this context isn't it exactly the river swami says comes to the ocean and tries to merge the ocean pushes it back the river fights the ocean pushes it goes on for long finally when the ocean knows you know the river is not going to turn back at all because it is bound to merge into me the ocean goes above like a wave and accepts the river to go within and once that happens in that moment you don't know which is the ocean which is the river because there's only one and that is the struggle that final struggle that happens before you know the lord wholeheartedly embraces the devotee and the devotee embraces the lord as you were describing you know swami giving all these on one hand we brought it out as to show how swami is compassionate and he is loving and he is thinking about what we might go through the other thought that struck me right now is there are different levels of commitment that is why you know people often say can you give that to me in writing because apparently when you write it it's committed you can't go back on that so i feel one level of commitment is at the level of the thought but when we speak it it's a higher level of commitment and when you write it it is the highest level of commitment and that's why before any job we are made to sign on a contract or sign on some kind of a documentation which shows our commitment to it so i just felt that this was also another way of swami bringing out to our own knowledge what is within us many times when i think of taking a job when i think of working for swami staying with swami on other hand i also know the difficulties it's not as if i need swami to educate me on that or some emissary like chakravarti sir to come and tell me about that i myself have done the analysis and possibly all this analysis is in my head by bringing out in speech one level commitment comes higher i mean i will not tell swami that swami actually you know what i think it requires guts to actually not feel that i am ready to sweep for swami but to tell swami that swami if you tell me to sweep i will sweep i may think that may you know even if swami makes me sweeper it's fine but unless i have one level of commitment when swami says that you know how i can't give you this i will not have the courage to say so by doing this swami shows each one of us our own you know level of commitment our own level where we stand because as test is definitely his taste but he doesn't test to evaluate what we are because he knows what we are the test is so that we realize what we are and it is like a self for this thing you know the teachers or the university has nothing to do with what marks you get they'll award degrees it's a thing but by the test we get to know how competent or good we are so that is the reason i feel you know another way in which swami would tell all these so that we can verbalize and speak out so that it represents a higher level of commitment towards what we are actually feeling very true in fact just like what happens here remember once uh, swami had called some of these boys for an interview swami had called them for three interviews on three mm. consecutive days wow okay in the first interview as soon as these boys entered the first thing swami said was there are no jobs here mm. <laughs> no even before the conversation could start swami said there are no jobs here you all should go and look for good jobs and take care of your parents and be happy so that's how the first days first conversation starts Okay, and all through the rest of the interview, Swami is explaining that there are no jobs. But in between, Swami say, "Okay, what have you done? What would you like to do?" But still, Swami is saying that, "But you know, it's better you all go." Finally, it came to that last interview. I think the last half an hour of the third interview, or 15 minutes of that third interview, Swami started telling what is there outside, and Swami was, you know, complete reversal of what he did on the first day. Swami said, "What is there in the outside world?" And Swami showed his empty hand and said, "Everything is there here." Mm. And he said, "See, outside they will give you twenty thousand rupees." But by the end of the month, you know, you won't know where the money has gone. 
But here if Swami gives you 1000 rupees, you can have satisfaction in your heart. Hmm. You can live your life to the full because you're doing whatever you're doing for Swami. I think in between if somebody had changed their mind and you know desired to leave, they might have missed the last part, the concluding part of the thing. Because that's when Swami was... You know, oh, you mean in these one or two days itself after the interview, there were some who might have left? Not necessarily, and not many left. But I'm ah. saying the way... If they had left. Right, if they yes. had left. Okay. Because the way Swami was describing the last day, it was completely different. Swami was giving counterexamples. So boys who you know, went outside and they were not very satisfied. They came back after 10-15 years of working outside. They said, Swami, we would like to do something here. And I think we have a few students who came back like that. So Swami is saying, see, there's nothing outside. So if you have this desire to stay with Swami, foster it. You know, Swami was kind of encouraging that and saying that for some reason or to some merit of your past birth, you've got this desire, hold on to it and foster it and you know, cherish it. In this context, it might be again a small digression, but a very, very poignant thought to mm-hmm. mull upon. When you said that Swami said the thousand rupees that Swami gives will give you great satisfaction. It reminds me of a kind of debate or a kind of discussion I had with a friend who was saying the way Central Trust accepts donations, the way Swami has made it, it's absolutely transparent and, you know, it's only like white money can come in Mm. because everything is accounted for, only accounted money can come in. There is uh, no scope for black money to come in and the discussion was why make it like that? The reason for supporting black money to come in was like this. What is black money? Black money is unaccounted money. Basically, it is money that society has been cheated of. Nobody in society knows of its existence. What better way to use black money than getting it back into serving society? society, Now, the central trust is doing only that. Nothing else. Not a pie goes elsewhere other than service for society. So, why not allow black money to come in? Mm -hmm. That's the best use, right? And for a while, even I also felt the same. Yes, Swami, what is the rationale behind? And that is when I heard the experience. I don't know if it has been aired on Radio Sai, but I heard the experience of Professor Sudhir Bhaskar, who had this opportunity to walk behind Swami. And uh, he said that on one occasion when he was walking behind Swami, I might be missing small details here, but the general story is this. A person handed over a cover to Swami and he apparently signaled to Sir saying that, be careful with that envelope because it contains a check for a hefty amount or something like that, maybe a few lakhs, lakhs of rupees. And Sir says that as Swami walked a few steps, he suddenly stopped, turned back, pulled out exactly that envelope from Sir's hand and gave it to Sir and said, you return this back. So he was surprised, he, but he said that it was very easy to locate the devotee because he had told me specifically, imagine even as Swami accepts the letter, turns and walks, he is telling sir that, you know, that contains, be careful with that letter. So he immediately located the devotee and gave it to him. In the darshan round itself, again, Swami picks out another letter and tells sir to keep it in his pocket. Now they enter the interview room and once they are inside, Swami closes the door and tells sir to take out that letter from his pocket mm-hmm. and he says, open it. So, he is a bit hesitant because this is a letter addressed to Swami. Swami says, no, you open it. He opens and sees what is there inside. He pulls out and again, I don't remember whether it is 10 or 15, but something like 10 rupees or 15 rupees or 20 rupees, a counterfoil. Usually, when you make a donation, you get a counterfoil. When you make a deposit, you get a counterfoil. Some person has deposited 15 or 20 rupees into the trust mm-hmm. and the counterfoil he has given it to Swami and that's <laughs> like a proof if the bank doesn't give you can reproduce this counterfoil and claim that 20 rupees and Swami said that man got overwhelmed by Swami's love he has sacrificed his food for a day and that money he has given to Swami and Swami said you know if you think that the salary that Swami gives is less just remember 
it is this kind of money that i am giving you as salary not any other kind of money which meant you know there is so much important that swami gives to the vibrations associated with that money and it was almost as if i am not saying that this is the takeaway directly but it appears as if the 20 rupees given with sacrifice and love is more important than the lakhs that might have been just thrown and don't know what kind of what it is so it answered my black money question because it is not just about money it is the feeling behind the act that matters and then i came across the story where buddha refuses wealth and he accepts with glee a old copper coin offered by a woman that is there a chinakata so the vibrations that the wealth carries is also so important you know now i feel i am ready to answer if somebody asks why not have this as a channel because don't know the vibrations associated with black money so that is why it's not as if all the white money also has pure vibrations there might be selfish reasons but definitely white money vibrations are no, talking about white money and i am reminded of uh, some of the students who had accompanied swami to one of the kodai sessions hmm. they were saying that during one of the sessions when they were sitting with swami you know those days swami would just pull out a letter and give it to somebody and a couple of letters swami would say if it's a sealed envelope no hmm. what is there inside hmm. So one of those letters Swami had given it to one of the senior teachers around and he opened it and there was a check in it, a check for a hefty amount. So Swami asked for the check and as he was talking to all these boys, very casually Swami just tore it into tatters and put it back into the envelope and Swami gave it back to that person. And all these boys were shocked because they could see the figure on that check, it was quite an amount. And as Swami was doing this and when he saw the surprise on some of the students' faces, Swami said, bad money, bad money and put it mm. back. And Swami very beautifully, you know, looked at them and said, "I don't want your money, sir. I want your heart." When Swami said this, Swami did not say, "I will not take money and I'll take only hearts." He said, "I am seeing the heart which is offering the money. It is not anything else. I am not seeing the money when I take money from anybody. I am seeing the heart, and it's really true. You know, that is why whatever Swami gave, whatever Swami did." we might say that swami is just treating patients in the hospital you know there's a hospital which is doing this but even that money which is coming to treat those patients i'm sure as we say something when we talk about vibrations when you talk about energy it's something which is completely intangible it's so subtle that we cannot qualify it or quantify it scientifically but i'm sure swami must have thought about all these gave so much importance to it i'm not saying that swami thought about all this swami gave so much importance to these things so that is why i think it's a message for all of us if we think that by giving money to the trust we can contribute to swami's mission no it is not so i think it is only by contributing purity to the trust we and can and that purity yes if you are channeling that purity through money it's okay if you are channeling that purity through seva it's okay but what is important is not the channel right. but the purity and love and you know that is what triggered when you said that swami said the thou- that is why the 1000 rupees that swami gives will give us the peace of mind the serenity right. and the love which possibly the lakhs outside world gives will not be able to give us and very true even in this argument which is happening between lord rama and sita i think that's the very thing because the arguments with rama is placing is he's completely trying to convince sita that you are not bound to follow me you know don't follow me because thinking that if i don't do this people might talk ill of me so you know he's saying that very clearly i am absolving you of that duty i mean for me your duty is to stay back and serve my parents and you know i don't want to put you through trouble so i am telling you that you don't have to follow ensuring that this decision to follow rama is completely out of her own will and she's doing it happily you know she's really doing it as a result of her craving you know that is what i think swami is bringing out in this conversation so that it is clear to everybody that 
Sita was not forced to follow Rama. It was not the societal bondages that made her follow Rama. It was not that her mother or father would have thought ill of her if she had not done this. And they would have seen her as somebody who had fallen off her duty. It was not anything like that. Sami is clearly saying that Sita was saying that this is where my happiness lies. And I am doing it of my own volition. Yes, and because one of the arguments that Mother Sita says is, don't think that I'm happy because I'm in the palace. Don't think I'm happy because I'm sleeping on a comfortable couch. It's not the case. I'm happy here because I'm with you. Exactly. Because once Rama says, you know, he says, see Sita, when I leave and go, it's bound to be a very sorrowful thing for everyone. My father will be sad. My mother will be sad. My mothers will be sad. My brothers will be sad. When everyone is sad like that, on that when you add the sorrow of you leaving... It is going to be like a double whammy. So it is better that you stay back and console them, you know. I mean, this is one of the arguments that Rama tries. And when he tries that, you know, this is exactly what Sita says. Sita says, oh Rama, this association with whole Ayodhya, with the whole palace, with the king, with everything has come to me because of you. And it is not seeking them that I sought you. It is that I have got them because I sought you. That's it. I want only you, Rama. So when you yourself are forsaking all of them and leaving... Then what do you say about me? You know, I have no relationship only with them then. Everything goes off because you are forsaking them. So when you have taken a decision that you forsaking them and the sorrow that is caused to them at that time is in accordance with dharma and whatever, then I don't think that this is a side thing to think about, you know. So she even says that my allegiance, my love is only to you, Rama. That is what Prakriti does to Paramatma and that is what inspires. If we also say that Swami, you know, our allegiance, if it comes to that, yes, it is not to Radio Sai Swami. I am working for Radio Sai and I love Radio Sai because Swami, it has Sai in it. But Swami, my allegiance is always to you. Whatever you say, I will do. In the same way, my allegiance to my family, Swami, is because you have given me the family. And therefore, Swami, that is why since you have given me the family, therefore they are important. But my first love is you, Swami. And if we can keep remembering this always, Swami, you are my first love, you are my first love. It might be a personal thing, but I would definitely love to share this. You know, before I got married, the first thing my going to be wife then and my wife now, Pooja, told me was, Arvind, if you don't mind, let me share with you that after marriage, you will not be my first priority. So I was a little shaken. I said, okay. And then she said, because that first priority has already been given to Swami. And when she said that, Prem, I had almost a tear in my eye. My eyes became wet. You know, I said the same from my side also. And I felt such a joy because there is an absolute phenomenal joy in keeping Swami as first priority. And that joy has to be experienced. And I felt very grateful to Swami that He has blessed me for whatever reason it might be, He has blessed me with that priority that Swami is first. And He is also blessing me with a wife who shares a similar top priority. So, I feel that the secret for serenity and peace in life to always have Swami as our first priority because if we don't give first priority to Swami, it's like we are giving Him no priority. That's all it is. And it's interesting, you know, the way Swami would play up things. This is very important, you know, what you do for Swami and Swami Himself. Mm. Sometimes this clash actually comes in in a functioning. I think we've seen it many times in the organization too. Mm. It seems, I don't know exactly how the whole thing happened. Swami was once mentioning that there was a a gathering which is happening in the Purnachandra Auditorium. Hmm. You know, I think it was something which is arranged for the organization people or something like that. And uh, Swami was not actually going for it. Hmm. And when asked, you know, Swami said, you know, they have their own schedule and they want to follow it. 
Hmm. You know, when you set up something in the name of Swami, and you would say that it has to be very punctual and it has to be very professional because it's got Swami's name, but you want to become so professional that you want to exclude Swami's uncertainties out of it. You know, that becomes very dangerous because I think I've sensed this many times even in our own working. Sometimes we do it for Swami, but we do it so much for Swami that for Swami becomes a top priority than Swami himself. Hmm. And this is very difficult to convey in words. But I think everybody will face this situation. For instance, you know, many of the people who are in a family might think that, you know, I'm taking care of my children for Swami. I'm taking care of my family for Swami. But when a situation comes when Swami himself is coming, maybe that for Swami will, you know, knock off the top priority than Swami himself. Hmm. And these are all things, you know, which are beautifully brought out in epics like this Ramayana because all the arguments, the detail to which Lord Rama is going, you know, to a point you might think that Rama is being a little cruel in in uh, subjecting Sita to this because he is trying to say that the decision to follow Rama is completely wrong. You know, that's the idea you would get from all the angles which Rama is explaining. In fact, he's saying that I'm the one who is giving you this command, will you disobey me? In fact, this is a classic case of what you said where, you know, Rama is giving all the for Rama arguments. Sita stay back in Ayodhya for Rama. Take care of his parents for Rama. You know, everything is like looking like for Swami arguments as you said. But it is credit to Mother Sita that she did not forget Rama in her pursuit of for Rama. For Rama is always secondary to Rama and that is how she actually eventually succeeds in following Rama to the forest. And that part, dear listeners, we will come to after this little break. While speaking about the Lord's glories, both Prem and me have this weakness. We forget the time, we forget everything and just go on and on. So it is good that we have a clock that reminds us that it's time for a little break. But don't go away, we will come back and we will be there to bid a fond farewell to the trio of Rama, Lakshmana and Sita as they leave to the forest. But that is nothing to be sad about because enjoying the Rama Katha, we will also be there in the forest to receive them. Shri Raghunandana Sita Rama Rajivalochana Raja Rama Rajivalochana Raja Rama
Dear listeners, we are in that interesting part where a beautiful conversation is happening between Lord Rama and Mother Sita, where Mother Sita is trying to win her way to join Lord Rama into exile. One more interesting argument which happens in very beautiful, and uh, I think it needs a little more keen looking at also. At one point, Mother Sita says that what about Kaushalya? You know, because all the argument which you have given should apply even to Kaushalya. So, what is the argument you have given to Kaushalya? Hmm. That's what. Uh, you know, Sita asks Rama. And in a sense, she says that I'm sure that you must have told her that she should stay back and take care of, you know, her husband. Yeah, because the way Kaushalya is attached to Rama, it is sure that she would definitely want to follow Rama. But now that only Rama has come, surely Kaushalya is not following. So what have you told her to stay back? You would have told stay back and serve your husband, you right? told her spoken about Patni Dharma. <laughs> <laughs> now here, the omniscience and omnipresence of Sita is being revealed to <laughs> Rama. And you know, in a sense, that is also correct. Prakriti, nature is also omniscient and omnipresent. And that is why nature has her own slow but sure way of rewarding and punishing. It is nothing but nature's omniscience and omnipresence. And here Sita is showing that. And she says, so what is it that you have told Kausalya? Have you not told her to stay back and do her Patni Dharma? Then why are you holding two different standards for women? If Patni Dharma is supreme, as it is in the case of Kausalya, then allow me also to do my Patni Dharma. And you know, at this point, Rama has to just accept defeat. He has to wave the white flag of surrender. Actually, argument. There's, there's another argument before that. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing about this is, you know, on the face of it, it appears that Lord Rama is double-tongued. He's saying something to the mother and something else to his wife. But I think this also is a very interesting indicator of what actually is Dharma, what actually is the right thing to do. Mm. I feel in both places, the intention of the Lord was the same. 
you know, when he told Kaushalya that he should stay back and take care of Dashrata, he was thinking of the welfare of his father as well as the welfare of his mother. And when he's again coming here to Sita, as you said, you know, all the arguments or predominantly most of the arguments are, you know, you will not be comfortable there. It will be very difficult for you. So it, even this argument that you should stay back and you should take care of my parents is completely made with the welfare of the other person in mind. So I think this is a very beautiful indicator of what is dharma, where there is a conflict of dharma, you know. Well, Swami would often say, God first and yourself last and others come in between. You know, that is what it is, that if there is a conflict of dharma, if you are able to do it, the decision which gives more priority to the other person's welfare. Over your own. Over your own. I think that will be more right than the other part. That's a nice rule of the thumb. Another interesting thing that happens during this whole argument is... uh, Several references to the future and past are made. Right. For example, if we take the future, Rama, while speaking about dangers in the forest, tells Sita, you know, Sita, there are some ablutions that Lakshmana and myself as princes, according to our births, we have to do these, we have to do these prayers, not ablutions. I mean, after ablutions, prayers and there are vows that we undertake. During this time, you will be alone in the wherever, you know, whether it's a cave or a hut, wherever we stay, you will be alone. At that time, what will you do? You know, who will protect you at such time? This actually to the keen reader, you can make out that this is a hint of what is going to happen. That Sita will possibly be in danger when Rama and Lakshmana are not around. The other thing, other reference to the future, a hint that Rama gives is, you know, there are many princes and kings who come to the forest to do hunt. You know, hunting is a favorite pastime for many of them. And when they come, if they cast their eyes on you, you are as beautiful as your character. You are an epitome of beauty. What if they cast their eyes on you? You know, what will you do then? So, again, this is a hint of what is going to happen. That Ravana coming and casting his eyes on her and getting bewitched by her beauty. So, for this, again, Sita responds with her complete conviction and faith that Rama, whatever it is, even if somebody, even if a wild animal eats me up when I'm in the forest, I would gladly die in your presence rather than die in your absence. And you know, if somebody can attack me in the forest with you by my side, then there's all the chance that anybody can attack me in Ayodhya also. And I would rather suffer with you by my side rather than without you by my side. And she counters this Rama's hint towards the future with her own, you know, hint towards her past. Right. Where she, you know, narrates of an episode in her childhood which indicates that what is happening is absolutely in sync with what is destined for her. She says of that incident when once her mother is sitting with Sita as a little girl, Sita is sitting on her lap Mm -hmm. and the mother is actually worried about her married life. You know, what kind of a bridegroom this little girl will get because she's so virtuous. The husband she gets should be equally virtuous. You know, the mother is just thinking about such things when suddenly one of the uh, maids come into her presence and say that there is an ascetic woman who's seeking audience with the queen. Hmm. So immediately the mother puts the child down and she goes into the presence of this ascetic woman. So both the mother and child fall at the feet. And this ascetic woman looks at this little Sita and says that, you know, there will be a time when in the future, after her marriage, this little girl will spend a few years with her husband in the forest. Hmm. And the queen is very surprised because, you know, why would somebody look at a small girl and talk about what would happen after her marriage? Marriage, huh? Right? And... With such detail, with such a specific detail. 
And so Sita recalls that moment and she says, see, this is already there in my destiny. So if you're talking about destiny, you know, I have even that covered. <laughs> you know, somebody's already uh, given me a word that this is going to happen. So I'm so happy when you came and told me, I was so thrilled because the memory of this incident came to me and I felt that it is the fructification of that which is going to happen now. And then she gives a pleading which no Lord can resist from the devotee. She says, dear Rama, I have in a sense been sad in the palace because you have so many attendants here, so many people to serve all your needs. I never get the opportunity to serve you. This is a golden opportunity for me, Rama. I don't look at it as a life in the forest. I look at it as a chance to be your maid, to be your wife, to be the person who fans you, to be the person who cooks for you, to be the person who feeds you. Everything, Rama. I mean, if we imagine ourselves doing that for Swami, why would we want to do any of our corporate lives or anything? We would love to give up everything to do these kind of direct physical seva for Swami, right? So she says, this is what I have dreamt of. You know, this is the kind of dream that Parvati had when she wanted to attain Lord Shiva. She did not care about the palace or anything. And so Sita says, Lord, I want to serve you. And this is a beautiful opportunity where I get to be your all in all. You know, from everything to everything, I can get to take care. And this is a lifetime opportunity for me. Please, please don't deprive me of this. You know, this is another beautiful indication of why you would see in the history, in scriptures, you would always find that devotees embrace poverty or embrace a frugal living. Hmm. Now, you would always see that in all religions, if you see Islam, you have fakirs. If you see uh, in Christianity, you would see the priests taking the vow of poverty. You know, St. Francis of Assisi, you know, all of them. It is not that poverty is going to lead you to divinity. It is not that putting yourself through that process of strict self-abnegation is going to give you anything. But I think it's a means of telling yourself that I am drawing true happiness only through the company of my Lord. I think that is what Mother Sita is kind of explaining here. See, I have so many reasons to be happy here. You know, I have all the comforts of the palace. I have so many, you know, not one doting mother-in-law, but I have three doting mother-in-laws. And I am being taken care of. But... It is an opportunity for me to see that am I really happy because I am in your company. Yes, it's an indicator for oneself. For for oneself. I think that is why all devotees, you know, go through that process of, you know, willingly taking upon themselves. Even if you see in the ashram, you would find people who would have lived in sprawling bungalows in, in the West. I've seen some of them who have huge houses in, say, in the United Kingdom or United States, they would come here and live in a one-room apartment. Not even a one-bedroom, right? one-room. Hmm. Eating very, very simple food, living very simple lives, because it is a means by which we can show to ourselves that, yes, I am happy being in the presence of the Lord. I can give up all these things and still be happy. I remember one uh, a master, I forget his name, he apparently... I think in Australia it was. When they had gone to Australia, every day he would go and sit in the bazaar, the market area, where a lot of activity, there's a commercial area. He would go there and he would just sit, sit and sit. And the disciples, you know, ever ready and eager to fulfill every desire and wish of their master, they would keep asking him, Master, do you want to purchase that? Do you want to purchase this? Do you want to purchase that? No, no, no. Finally, one day after some four or five days of this, they said, Master, if you don't want to purchase anything, why do you want to go and sit in the market? Why do you want to sit there? He says, you know, it's a reminder for me every day that I am happy without any of these. (laughs) The minute I feel that I want something and I feel that my happiness depends on something, I know I have lost my happiness. As long as I look at all this and I can still be happy, knowing that my happiness is not dependent on it, that is 
when i'm happy the minute i desire for anything the minute i feel i want that i feel that because i feel when i get that only i will be happy then i have lost my true happiness this was the answer so as you said this kind of vow of poverty vow of celibacy is not because god demands it god never demands us to be poor nor us to be celibates or any of such thing nor fasting nothing it is just as an indicator for our own self to know that i am deriving joy now it is not because of this it is not because of this. it is purely because of the divine love in my heart and one more beautiful argument which mother sita gives maybe this could be one of the final ones where again you know as you said it's an indication of what is to come mm-hmm. about uh, what would happen if somebody were to come and harm her and all that and that's when mother sita says have you forgotten who i am i am mm-hmm. the daughter of prithvi you know i am the daughter of mother earth and often times you know in uh, indian scriptures prithvi is shown as the epitome of forbearance of a person who is able to put up with enough amount of suffering hmm. so she says i have come inheriting that quality i can put up with any amount of suffering so don't give me this reason that it's going to be so much of pain and the other thing is have you forgotten that i lifted the shiv dhanush which you broke hmm. you know so many emperors came and i think interestingly it is always depicted that even ravana has come and tried to lift that shiv dhanush and he failed and she says that i lifted it i pushed it even as a little child do you think i'm a weakling so she says i am as strong as you are don't forget that and finally we have to you know go back to what swami has said in his discourses that rama and sita they knew you know it was almost as if rama said sita now you know it's time for the divine plan we have to they knew this is part of the divine plan otherwise how else can we explain that ravana fails to lift the shiva dhanush <laughs> sita is able to easily move it not as an adult huh? as a child when she was playing with the ball and that mighty sita is simply picked up and uh, kidnapped by ravana so all this is part of a you know a kind of a master plan which becomes very clear about this and uh, sita as she says you know she is born of mother earth that is why one of her names was ayonija mm-hmm. yoni stands for the womb ayoni means not of the womb so not of the womb she ayonija ja means born so one who is not born of the womb is sita and we know that she stands for prakriti that is what the adhyatma ramayana one of the interpretation says so sita wins over rama and rama agrees it has taken a long time and a long kind of uh, debate between sita and rama and rama agrees so now sita lakshmana and rama the trio they head out to the emperor because they want to meet dasharatha the emperor remember they are not going to meet dasharatha their father or father in law they are meeting dasharatha the emperor to offer their salutations to him and take his permission before leaving and seeing his two sons in bath clothes and sita walking along it's almost as if dasharatha knows what has transpired and what has happened he laments and beats out his chest and he is crying and seeing that sorrow the whole assembly is sorrowful and apparently it has been announced that this is what is happening because the whole assembly seems to be aware of what is happening and kaikey here it is tough you know to uh, narrate what is happening to kaikey because one is the kaikey who is acting out the other is the kaikey who has been told to act by rama so but kaikey here she says she is apparently looking fearful because she is thinking that all this sorrow might lead to change in the decision and you know if we look deeper she is afraid of the change in decision not because her son will not become emperor but because she will be disobeying what rama had told her she will be failing in what rama wanted her to do so she is very worried and so she immediately brings out bath clothes and she hands it over to sita 
and says that you know if you are also going it's fine but you know here it is take the bath clothes and this is the time that dasharatha can't bear he gets off the throne and starts lashing out verbally to kaikeyi calling her the cruelest of ogres alive ogress rakshasi but apparently kaikeyi is absolutely unaffected by all this and that is a point in time when vashishta steps into the court i think before the chami gives a beautiful description of how rama explains to sita how to wear those clothes because you know she is born a princess and she is you know married into the royal family mm. so very patiently sami you know beautifully says that rama explains to sita how to wear these clothes mm. and you know how to dress modestly even in these clothes bark clothes because she doesn't actually complain she says rama you know the sarees that i'm used to are much longer than this are much right. wider than this clothes made of bark you can't process them and also therefore they are not so big and so she is wondering how to and rama takes her to a corner and he starts you know showing her how they should be worn and there is immense sorrow in the entire assembly this was the day they have all come to see a golden crown being placed on the head of their beloved rama and sita and instead of that crown they are being draped in bark it's almost equivalent to what you know possibly the followers of christ would have felt when they wanted to see their jesus crowned as the king emperor of israel instead he was being flogged and taken in the streets that was a kind of contrast you know that contrast is what builds up so much of sorrow and a kind of depression and that is what the entire assembly at ayodhya was undergoing and yes it is at this time that vashishta comes and apparently even the omnipresent powerful sage vashishta is also shocked at what is happening and he thunders and says this has to stop and he dilates on how the political principles work he says that see whatever may be the thing happening whatever might be the word given or whatever might be the obligations or things that the king has committed to mm-hmm. it is a rule that always the eldest born is the ruler so okay. rama is bound to be the ruler but of his own volition if rama chooses not to rule that is okay but then if he is married which he is because he has sita when he gives up as per law as per the rule as per dharma as per the code of conduct the entire responsibility goes over to sita if only sita also refuses then only you can find a next heir to take over the throne and so now rama has given it up so he says sita there is no need for you to wear bark clothes in fact there is no need for you to give up the kingdom if rama has given it up it's okay there is no need that uh, bharata take this up you have to take it up you know he says and this is again a time when kaike starts shivering she starts shivering in you know in a fear whether this should not lead to a change in decision but you know sita anyone who would have witnessed or read through or heard through what has happened transpired between sita and rama will they ever believe that sita will lay claim on the kingdom and that's the beauty of this whole episode you know often times when you talk about the ramayana people who see it in a very very shallow manner they would say that you know the women doesn't have the right you know sita had to just follow whatever rama had to do but actually this entire episode shows that she actually had a way you know entirely when sita was told to stay back she said no i want to do this i have chosen this when the whole kingdom was offered to her you know it was not that the exile was thrust upon her in fact the kingdom was thrust upon her hmm. no vasisha says that you have to rule she says no i don't want to rule i want to go with my lords you know that's the beauty of this whole thing where at every point the right of the woman is actually being portrayed saying that you know even sita says that i have the equal right 
you cannot command me i have the equal right but it is not the right i am exercising i am exercising my ability to pray to you to plead to you and that's the beauty and when you look at this whole situation with everybody dashata vasishta as you said even vasishta is so moved by pain seeing this whole thing i think the only two individuals who are happy is rama and sita because <laughs> rama is happy in a sense because he is able to follow his dharma outwardly looking at it sita is happy because she is going to have the company of her lord you know she had it even in the palace she is going to have it even in the forest i think other than these two everybody is upset and depressed and as a devotee what i think we can take away from this is as long as our focus is rama as long as our focus is our sai rama our swami i'm sure that is what hanuman sitting in the studio here and listening to the ramayana being said will also agree to that as long as our focus and sole goal is rama it doesn't matter what is happening it doesn't matter who rules the kingdom it doesn't matter what is the situation outside we will be peaceful and happy and you know i would like to add an extension over here it's not just that we being peaceful and happy whosoever comes in contact with us will also get that peace and happiness and that is what happened in ashokavana you know one thing we'll see later on that in the lankan kingdom where sita is kept trapped while on one hand it is written of how sita got scared by all the ogresses there is definitely a fact that there were some of the ogresses who felt very calmed because of sita mm-hmm. so that kind of you know when god is our sole goal automatically love and selflessness become our sole goal and love and selflessness automatically have a calming peaceful and you know joy giving effect cheer lending effect on everyone around that is what happened right when dharmaja went to the hell all the souls in hell cried out and said dharmaja don't leave hell because you know once you have entered hell it hell has become so soothing and cool it was almost as if in order to maintain heaven and hell dharmaja had to be taken out of hell otherwise hell is as good as heaven so that is a thing that shows that what makes us truly independent in terms of our happiness is to be fully dependent on the lord then our happiness will depend on nothing else and that happiness will also spread from us through us to the entire world and since we have heard ramayana over and over again i think we've read it in many forms some of the immensity of the situation actually misses us you know just imagine even with our own comforts in our own home one find it thrown out of our house and told to live on the streets it would just definitely be a rude shock but here is somebody who is going to be an emperor in fact sami would repeat this over and over again in his discourses you know see that contrast because he is going to be an emperor dashratha was not an ordinary king he did not have a small kingdom mm. you know he was emperor of the whole realm he is performed the ashwamedha yaga and he supposed to be an overlord of a huge subcontinent and rama from being that rama and sita from being overlords you know they would worshiped it was a time when kings were worshiped as god but here of course was god himself but from that state they are going into the forest and you know you can think of going and camping in a forest now you could still manage to carry enough you know? i feel a modern day analogy would be imagine you are promised the latest smartphone and it is bound to happen your payment has been made it has to be <laughs> and it doesn't arrive this is a situation worse than that it doesn't arrive at the same time the phone that you are currently having is taken and smashed into smithereens and now told see that is what it is rama was not told that you are not going to be king continue to life as it is you are not going to be king and you are going to get a downgrade now so you know i was again imagining with a phone itself is such a pain for us imagine what is the immensity and enormity when what you are going to get is if we see rama's kingdom it's almost half the current land size of india today right <laughs> so it's an immense kingdom and yet as rama walks out you know the first thing that he talks to the citizens is that 
you are all blessed people for you are all living in the kingdom of ayodhya and he says you know please continue to be like good citizens like this obey them obey the ruler obey the emperor because everybody who is ruling you are of the purest in their intent they are the most wonderful people i mean rama speaking so gloriously of apparently those who have caused all this downfall for him ah it is really a lesson in humility love and most importantly selflessness and i think dear listeners is a good time to conclude this week's afternoon satsang yes we'll conclude with the statement that apart from telling this to the citizens rama also advises sumantra the minister who is very dear to dasharatha he says my father will be in great pain so please go and assuage him it is with this final message that rama sita and lakshmana the trio step out of the palace to head towards the forest all the citizens have been told and sumantra has been given the message to convey to dasharatha and with this the trio start towards the forest towards the exile so dear listeners we're going to conclude with by playing that uh, song which used to be part of ramkatha and in the later years whenever the song used to be sung swami would emote with a feeling because you know often times swami would say that he is beyond gunas hmm. but he empathizes like you know when we become good people one of the surest sign of goodness is empathy so when swami is the very embodiment of all goodness that you can think of swami would actually empathize when swami would cry it was not the emotions what rama or sita had because as we read it in swami's own words they were pictures of equanimity but swami would reflect the emotions of the people of ayodhya when these three were driven out in a chariot to the mm. boundaries of ayodhya even as they were stepping out into the forest so i think we'll conclude with that song and next week we'll join you with the continuing part of ramkatha swani on behalf of arvind on behalf of myself we offer this humble effort of ours at swami's lotus feet thank you jai sai ram vinudu vinudu ramayana gada vinude manasara vinudu vinudu ramayana gada vinude manasara alapinchina alakinchina aananda mulikinche gada vinudu vinudu ramayana gada vinude manasara రాజుచేయగా కోరెను దశరథ భూజాని పౌరులెల్లవు పొంగిపోయి రా మంగళ వార్త విని పౌరులెల్లవు పొంగిపోయి రా మంగళ వార్త విని చెచ్చుగా మారెను కైకా మందర మాట విని మందర మాట విని వినుడు వినుడు రామాయణ గాదా వినుడి మనసారా తెలిసిన భూపతి అడిగెను వరములు అతనివి సలుప వలయు పట్టాభిషేకము భరతునికి పృథివి మెలగ వలయు పదునాలుగేండులు రాముడు కారణవి 
చెరియ మాటకు అవును కాదని పలు కడుగు జాని కూలే భూమిపై వినుడు వినుడు రామాయణ గాదా వినుడి మనసాయా రావించి మహీపతి ఆనతి తెలిపెను పిన తల్లి మోసమెరిగి సౌమిత్రి కఠారి దూసెను రోజిల్లి దోషమని వెను దీసే తమ్ముని రాముడు వేసారి వాస దీక్ష కోసలవు కోరి పిన తల్లి పరాల వ్రాయి episode of our radio program Afternoon Satsang. This was a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live hosted by Prem and Arvind at 12.30pm Indian Standard Time on Thursdays only on Asia stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony. The discussion was on Ramakatara Savahini, a book written by Swami and today's episode was first broadcast live on 8th January 2015. Dear listener, we hope you liked this program As always you can send us your feedback to listener at radiosci.org you could also whatsapp us your feedback to this number 
9393 258 258. Thank you and Sairam.